Father, we ask that you would indeed be uh, your own interpreter tonight, and that as we hear uh, and consider these words of yours, that you would speak to us afresh. Help us, Lord, to hear and to see you, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Deja vu is the feeling that you've lived through the present experience before. Deja vu is the feeling that you've lived through the present experience before. Sorry, I couldn't resist that. Uh, But you could be tempted to think uh, that we've been here before uh, as we open up to Jonah chapter 3 on page 928. You see, for a second time, uh, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. And for the second time, the word of the Lord sends Jonah to Nineveh. The first time had come back at the start of chapter 1 when God said, Go, and Jonah said, No. Since that moment, Jonah went on the run from God, onto a boat going in the opposite direction from his God-given mission, into a storm, and ultimately into the belly of the great fish. And yet even in Jonah's rebellion, God has been in control. So that at this most reluctant prophet, a witness to the pagan sailors who then turned to worship the true living God of heaven who made the sea and the land. And God had appointed the great fish to rescue his appointed prophet from a watery grave. After three days in the fish, Jonah must have been stinking to high heaven and was vomited out onto dry land. And we see God's grace in action right from the very start of this chapter. God's word comes a second time to Jonah. So God is the God of the second chance. I wonder, have you ever found that out for yourself? You've messed up. You've come back to the Lord and he welcomes you in again and again and again. For the second time and the 22nd time and the 102nd time and, well, are you still keeping count? And notice that as God speaks to Jonah, God doesn't mention what has come before. He doesn't cast it up to him. And say, now, you didn't do this the last time, but do it this time. Doesn't mention it. You see, with God, our past is gone. Forgiven and forgotten. And never more to be remembered or cast up. No, it's almost as if this is the first time that God has ever mentioned Nineveh to Jonah. And so God sends Jonah with these words in verse 2. Go.
Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. God has a message for Nineveh and Jonah is his chosen messenger. So what will happen this time around? Last time God said go and Jonah said not near Nelly. Uh, what will he do now that he has heard God sending all over again? Well, we see the answer in verse 3. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. And you think, ah, what a relief. This time he obeyed God's call and went to where he was meant to go all those chapters ago. And then we're told a little bit about the city to which he had travelled. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. And now I wrote this on Friday. I didn't know Timmy was going to be here tonight. But you can almost hear the travel agent's sales pitch, can't you? You know. Now oh, it's a really important city. It's a big place. You know, you want to see it all. So, you know, one night wouldn't be enough. Two nights wouldn't be enough. You need three days. Is that how it works, Timmy? Is it? <laughs> Proper city break experience, you'd need three whole days in it. Well, you can imagine the size of it. The importance of it. How amazing it would have been to be there. But remember that Jonah isn't there for a city break. He isn't there to get away from it all for a couple of days. He isn't there to see the sights from the open top bus tour. In fact, he wouldn't have chosen to go there at all. He's only there because God sent them there for the second time. You see... Nineveh is the capital city of one of the hostile superpowers of the day. Going to Nineveh is going into the heart of enemy territory. Pagan territory at that. And it's to this hostile place, this enemy territory, that Jonah has been sent by God with a message to proclaim. And he doesn't waste any time. Did you see that? On his first day, he starts into the city and he proclaims his message. And the message we hear there in verse 4. He proclaimed 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. What about that for a sermon? It's short. It's snappy, but it's all doom and gloom. He says the countdown clock has begun. Forty days and Nineveh will be overturned or, in other words, used in some versions, overthrown. It's the same word used of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis chapter 18. So what do you make of his proclamation? What do you think of it? You see, before, uh, whenever I would read his message, I used to think, you know, Jonah really doesn't like the Ninevites. 
He says as little as possible. He offers no hope and wants them to be overthrown. Does that sound about right? He's a reluctant prophet. He's reluctantly there. And so he doesn't waste much of his breath on him. Many words. Two, four, six, eight words. That's all he says. But look back to verse two. God says, proclaim to it the message I give you. So is it that Jonah is like a huffy toddler? You know, he he doesn't really want to do it, but he's been made to do it, and so he'll do it in the worst possible way. Or is he actually being faithful this time, even in the sparsity of the message? Maybe I was being too hard on him. But either way, the message has been proclaimed in the streets of Nineveh. And the question is, what will happen next? Imagine that Jonah arrives in Portadown. Don't think it would take three days to visit Portadown, maybe. But he arrives in Portadown. And as he walks up the main street, he shares this proclamation. What would people do? How would people respond to him? Well, he'd either be laughed at, or ignored, or maybe locked up. But that's not what happens in Nineveh. You see the response there in verse 5? The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. While the message didn't say much, didn't offer much or any hope, the Ninevites believed this word of the Lord. They believed God. Notice it doesn't say they believed Jonah. They believed God. By taking him at his word. By believing what he said to be true. And taking action based on what he had said. Their response is seen in their fasting. And their sackcloth. These are signs of mourning for their sin of repentance and their repentance goes all the way to the very top to the king of Nineveh himself there he is seated on his throne in his royal robes and then there he is covered in sackcloth sitting in the dust even the king has humbled himself numbering himself with his people as they seek God's mercy. The king sets an example of fasting and repentance and then he issues his own proclamation in response to the proclamation of Jonah. He says, verse 7, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. 
But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Here's what revival in Nineveh looks like by order of the king. You see the way there are five lets there. Every sentence has a let or every part of a sentence has a let in it. Two negative and three positive. First of all, negatively, do not let man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything or eat or drink. So to show their seriousness, they are abstaining from food and drink. And then positively, they are to let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. There to let everyone urgently call on God. They are to give up their evil ways and their violence. They're turning away from their sin and turning towards God, calling on him for mercy. And yet, as his proclamation continues, he's not sure what is actually going to happen. He has no assurance at all that God will respond to their cries for mercy. Do you see how he puts it there in verse 9? Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. He's not sure if God will be merciful. But he hopes that God might be. He's not sure. He says, who knows? And who does know? Who in Nineveh knows for sure what God is like? Jonah. Jonah knows. Jonah knows this personally. Uh, that when he cried to the Lord from under the sea, the Lord saved him and showed him amazing mercy. That's what chapter 2 is all about. And Jonah also knows this because he has heard about the pagan sailors who cried to the Lord and received his amazing grace. Jonah knows this, but he hasn't communicated it to the Ninevites. They're hoping that God might relent, might have compassion on them so that they don't perish. But they don't know for sure. I wonder, could we sometimes be like Jonah? We know what God is like, and yet we fail to communicate it. We know how merciful God is and yet we somehow forget to remember to mention that bit. Do we miss out the good bit of the good news? So the Ninevites are unsure about God's grace. But then they experience it in full measure 
when we get to verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. How amazing God's grace is. He shores his saving grace on this city of his enemies, having compassion on them, not bringing the destruction that they deserved. I wonder, do you recognize yourself in this picture, in this chapter? You see, if, if you are trusting in Jesus, then you are a Ninevite. We too were in the path of destruction. We too faced God's wrath. But he has had compassion on us. He has given us the grace to turn to him from our sin and to find in him our salvation. How amazing is God's love that while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us to make us his friends. And that's what we remember tonight as we meet around his table. As we remember the king who stepped down from his royal throne, who was stripped and beaten and brought low for us and for our salvation. This is the blessing for all who hear and repent. And yet Jesus takes up the story of Jonah and points to the sign of Jonah. You see, the people of Nineveh repented when they heard Jonah's preaching, such as it was. But the people of Jesus' day, with someone even greater than Jonah preaching to them, refused to listen and refused to repent. May it never be true of us who have all the privileges of living here in Northern Ireland, of, of you know, being freely able to come to church and, and having God's word in our homes, and yet ultimately to turn away. Jonah eventually obeyed, bringing God's word to a lost and needy world. He has seen God's grace in action in his life, in the sailor's life, in the Ninevite's life. And yet, as we'll see next week, he doesn't really like God's grace after all. We who have received that same grace We have been entrusted 
with a message, with the good news of the gospel, of the God who will answer all who call on him. How can we remain silent? Let's pray. Lord God, we hear uh, of what you achieved in the great city of Nineveh. And Lord, we ask, won't you do it in our day? Won't you do it here among us? Lord, we marvel at your grace. We marvel that uh, guilty sinners uh, can find salvation in you. We thank you that it's possible through uh, the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would help us to hear. Help us to trust. And to depend solely on his grace. For we ask it in his precious name. Amen.